Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Euro qualifiers assemble. We definitely talk about some fixtures you could watch if you want. We also look at England-Australia's down through history, examine Leo Messi's MLS successes, talk Wayne Rooney getting the Washington bullet, and salute Eden Hazard and a place in posterity as big as his posterior. It's the Totally Football Show. Thursday, the 12th of October. Very uh, a big hello to you, listener. Today's totally features Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan. Hello, James. Also, Adrian Clark here. All right, Adrian. Hello. Hello to you. Uh, we've got Dom Firefield remotely. Hello, James. Hi, Dom. Lovely to see you. And you. We don't see much of you anymore because you've become a you know, big cheese upstairs. Ugh, I'm anything but a big cheese. Really? Never been a big cheese fan, me. All right. Because what, what, you don't report anymore. You're, you commission. Yeah. What have yeah. you commissioned to to fill the you know yawning hole of the international weekend? Well, various things from various club writers. Nothing huge that uh, will uh, impinge upon totally. I suspect. Okay. But, uh... All right. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised, <laughs> uh, Duncan. You're also now uh, very much in the big cheese upstairs department. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, Duncan's an editor. Is he? Bree yeah. here now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Me and Dom chat. About ideas. Do you squabble over writers, you know? No, nah, everyone has their own assigned people. You've so. got Michael well, Cox. Well, sometimes mm. I do actually come and steal some of Duncan's writers. Is that right? Yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. illegally, actually. You do, yeah. Yeah, I actually scratch everything I just said, Dom's <laughs> a sneaky rat. <laughs> <laughs> I love this insider talk. How about you, listener? It's lovely to have you on, Don. And um, we've got so much to talk about, you'd be amazed to hear. Adrian, you've been. Uh, you're off on holiday tomorrow. I am. Yeah, yeah. That was a surprise one. I didn't All know right. about it until until last week. I can't believe you're going away at this moment of the season. Yeah, there's so much going on, isn't it? So much going on. For example, uh, this evening, uh, Thursday, as we record. Well, it's Thursday pretty much everywhere, but it's this evening as we record. The First Nations could see the first teams to book their spots at next summer's Euro Jamboree. It could be Scotland at Group A, with then Norway and Spain facing each other on Sunday. Potentially, those teams battling for the other other place from that group. France could also be qualified. They're going to be facing Netherlands on Friday. England are all but sorted. They lead Italy and Ukraine by six points in Group C. Italy face Malta on Saturday. A little bit nervous. Uh, Italy ahead of their clash then with England. I think next Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday. Mm. All sorts of other stuff going on. Turkey take on their main Group D rivals, Croatia. Uh, that's Wales's group, of course. So Turkey will be having their brand new coach debuting. It's Vincenzo Montella. How about that? Oh, in Group F, you've got the top two teams facing each other. They're both on 13 points from a possible 15. Who are these incredible footballing nations? Ralph Rangnick's Austria. 
and uh, Domenico Tedesco's Belgium, who of course sport the Euro 2024 qualifying top scorer. Romelo Lokaku, eight and five, Adrian. Eight mm, and five. I know. I was looking at the top scorer list. It's, it's Manchester United heavy. Is it? Yeah. Mm. McTominay is second. Oh yeah. Huyland, I think, is up there as well. Second, and, yeah. and Bruno Fernandes isn't far away either. Mm. So yeah, it's um, yeah. United might be sort of rubbish domestically, but their players, you know, current and former, are flying in, on the international scene. Okay, I was going to ask for a, a game that you're looking forward to this weekend, but in your case, it's probably ping pong at the hotel <laughs> sports. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Oh, just flying down the flumes, having races down down the old slides. Nice. Yeah. Okay, Duncan, how about you? Have you earmarked an international? I was, believe it or not, I was quite interested in Wales Gibraltar last night. Yeah. Because it was uh, Wales mixed their team up. I played at the racecourse ground for the first time. In a while, I wonder right. what brought that stadium back to prominence. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but for me... Oldest international venue for football in the world, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, and for me, it was the first time ever that two Wiccan players have faced each other in Ooh. an international. TJ DeBar up front for Gibraltar and sensational defender Joe Lowe yeah, play, making his uh, full debut for, for Wales. So All right. That was a nice little, was he, was little moment. Joe Lowe playing in a low block and equally did DeBar hit DeBar. Uh, Debar didn't hit Debar this time, although I have seen that happen, oh, and right. it's very enjoyable oh to, to say that <laughs> repeatedly. Um, but yeah, so that was nice. All right, yeah. Charlie Savage, son of Rob. Oh yeah, yeah, son of Robbie. He, he starred in the game apparently. Was it was it a four-nil win. Well, Duncan, you saw it. What did you think of Charlie Savage? Yeah, played well. I mean, yeah, and a good prospect. I mean, it does fit with my theory. I said this to Dom actually in the week that there does feel to be a higher proportion of ex-footballers' sons playing these days. Mm. Like, every team seems to have three or four. So, mm. Dom, is there a game that you will be making an effort to watch, possibly successfully? <laughs> I'll try and watch Spain-Scotland tonight because I'm just full of admiration for everything that Steve Clark's done with the Scots. And if they secure qualification with a, with a point in Seville, that, that's quite the achievement. Mm. Yeah, my son's going to that game. Oh yeah, the eldest. Yeah, he's he's currently on on holiday with his girlfriend. I think they're in a camper van, and yeah, he just dropped it in last night on text. Yeah, going to watch Spain v Scotland. So I was like, "Who are you following? Who are you supporting?" He's like, "Obviously Spain." Is that right? Yeah, yeah. they're holding it in the the, the, the Seville third stadium. stadium. Yeah, it's still quite a big ground, isn't mm. it? I remember seeing it at the Euros. So yeah, I've warned him that there might be a lot of Scottish people around. I suspect they will think. be. I mean, mm. it's it's a huge, huge night, isn't it? For it is, it is. You've also got Denmark, Kazakhstan. That group's mad. I'm not sure if you're across Group H, but you've got. Denmark and Kazakhstan and Slovenia and Finland, Slovakia and Finland rather, uh, they're all separated by just one point and they're all facing each other on Saturday. That's going to be huge. But Netherlands, France is a big one. That's Friday uh, evening. And uh, well, France won the reverse fixture 4 0. Why is it so big? Well, Netherlands are not entirely secure of being in the top two because Greece are creeping up behind them. Uh, well, you know what? On Monday's show, which will be up slightly later, so we can get in the Sunday night results, we'll be reviewing all of the the weekend's qualifying action. Uh, by the way, the next Euros has now been confirmed. It's going to be in UK and Ireland. Are you excited about that? Very. Yeah. yeah, very excited. Although it looks like the home nations involved. How many, Duncan? Uh, five. Good lord. The IFAB lads plus Ireland. <laughs> plus Ireland. They'll all still have to qualify. Although there's talk there'll be two reserve spots left open in case Ooh. any fail. Like, come on, you can come in. 
Right. So for Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland. <laughs> oh, it's a bit of a low blow, wasn't it? Adrian. All right. And then, then the Euros after that, Adrian, Italy and Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's the thing now, isn't it? You don't just send these major tournaments to, to one nation. We Apparently. sort of spread the love, don't we? But, yeah, it's good to know in advance, isn't it? It um, is. But, yeah, no, it'd be great to have have um, a major tournament back on these shores. Let's but hope, Let's hope, yeah. That, the, that they sell out the tickets. Because the thing no one ever mentions about Euro 96 was that other than the England games at Wembley, half the, most of the games were half full. I'm yeah. wagging my finger at the, the other English point public. is, of course, what happened the last oh, time yeah, a major final point. happened at Wembley. So mm. there were too many people that wanted to go to the game and, yeah. it, and it went wrong. So in that sense, it's a slight surprise that, that we have been awarded it. But, uh, but yeah, it'd be great. OK. Uh, did you have a special Spain stat? I do, yeah. To look, get in it, before they play uh, Scotland? Yeah, it's not great news potentially for Scotland, who only need a point, don't they, to, to guarantee their qualification. At home in Euros qualifiers, the last time Spain failed to win was June 2003. Okay. Since then, they've played 24, mm. won 24, Ooh. and the goal difference across the last 10 matches is 37-1. So their goals for is 37, and they've conceded one goal in 10 years. No, in, in 10 matches. In the last 10 matches at wow. home in the Euros qualifiers. So they're quite good. But at, did uh, Scott McTominay play in any of those games? He didn't. He didn't. One other game that we should be getting very excited about is, of course, England-Australia. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. England-Australia. Woo! It's a friendly. It's at Wembley on Friday night. Who remembers the last time these sides met? Sterling England have got plenty of pace. Oh, my goodness. Marcus Rashford. Inside two and a half minutes. The dream continues. For the teenager. Yeah, the 2-1 win, Marcus Rashford's debut, scoring after 138 seconds, I think, as an England player, the youngest ever scorer on debut for England. Um, but a 2-1 win, which filled us all with such huge optimism going in Euro 2016, mm. which went so well. It was Roy Hodgson's England, and whose Australia was it, Dom? Cool, there's a question. No idea. <laughs> Ange Postacoglu. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That was the pre-Euro 2016 friendly. Oh, Duncan. That era, it's hard to remember some of the competitive games, let alone the, the build-up friendlies. But conversely, yeah. the, the 2003 game I remember really wow, well. What a game. Quite an unusual match all round. Upton Park. Yeah. It was at Upton Park. Is that the only international ever staged there? There's not many. Mm. It's, yeah. it was the first time England had played there. Unusual, yeah. And I can't recall it happening again. It might have had like a, you know, random friendly that sometimes countries Brazil. arrange in. Yeah, like mm. Jamaica have played at Loftus Road and stuff. Mm. So, but yeah, it was um, it was peak Sven Goran Eriksson era. It was Wayne mm. Rooney's debut. It was the classic uh, eleven substitutions at halftime, which yeah. people always used to enjoy. As you were like, what? Who's that? Isn't that better, though, than having the second half punctuated by all these stoppages? I quite like it. Mm. Seriously. I don't know. It used to wind people up a lot of the time. Like I mean, it, So much so that FIFA banned it. I yeah, thought. it's giving caps away, isn't it? Which mm. sort of goes against the honour of representing the country. But Bit harsh from Franny Jeffers, but yeah. <laughs> it, is, uh, it, it does make it a game of, of, of two halves in a very real sense. Both, both teams went for 11 substitutions at halftime. Uh, or just sure. England. No, just England. Just, just England. England. Yeah. Who were 2-0 down at the break anyway uh, against what was largely peak Australia. 
Really good Australian team. Really good players in there. But my lasting memory of that day, evening, mm. night even, um, was I'd been working and uh, walking back through London and all every pub in central London was just, Australians were spilling out in high spirits. Understandably, they'd just beaten England at football. Everton helps it on to Aloisi. England could be stretched here. Aloisi, Everton, that's it. Everton signals success for Australia. 3-1 was the final score. England's goal coming uh, as a result of a nice move, actually, of three of the second-half debutants. Uh, Jermaine Genus, uh, Wayne Rooney, who kind of chested the ball on, and then uh, Franny Jeffers, who did the, the scoring and became, by virtue of that, one of an exclusive club of England players who have only played once for the three Lions but scored in that game. In the last 40 years, we could only find three other examples. Here's a bit of international weekend fun for you, Adrian. Can you, can you name any Dave of those Nugent other Dave Nugent is one of them, yes. isn't he? Yeah. I saw him the other day. Did you? Sure, what was he doing? I saw him at Leicester. Was he, he doing, stealing goals with anyone he's there? Doing local, yeah, he was doing local radio. But yeah, he's, he's quite a jovial, sort of smiley character. I, I liked him. Yeah. You would be if you'd scored for England from 15 centimetres. And then, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do, rem- I do remember that goal. Yeah. Mm. Two others. Stephen Corker. Yeah, Sierra Leone, Stephen Corker. Okay. I was speaking to him only this morning. Really? What was he yeah. doing? Stephen is, has just set up an academy for players who have been released from Premier League clubs. Um, and it's an amazing, amazing project. He's he's free agent at the moment. He's looking for a club, I think. Uh, but we ran a piece on him in the week. Jay Harris wrote a very good piece, which I would recommend all Athletic subscribers have a look at. Mm. Is Jay one of yours, Tom? No, he's not actually, but he should be. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I've got me eye on him. He'll be mine soon. <laughs> uh, Duncan, were you talking to Danny Wallace at all this week? Uh, uh, certainly not. Okay, because um, he was the other one. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, all right. What, what about this time when England take on uh, Australia? Uh, how are England doing? Dom, last time out in the qualifiers, we saw the perfect record uh, so far in this campaign, spoiled by that 1-1 draw against Ukraine. And then we had the, the 3-1 away to Scotland in, in the friendly. What's your take on how England are? Look, I think they're doing what they do between every tournament pretty much at the moment. They, I mean, they were a bit disappointing against Ukraine, but then they turned it on at, at Scotland, um, at Hampden Park, and, you know, where everybody expected them to, to be really tested by a resurgent Scottish team. So we know they've got the quality. It'll always come down to which players are available for which fixtures. Uh, I, I, I can see Southgate almost fielding a second team against Australia. I think he'll, maybe a few of the a few of the senior players that he usually relies upon will get a run out, but it's very much geared towards Tuesday's game against Italy. So maybe we'll see some fresh, uh, some new faces, relatively new faces, because there aren't that many new faces in this squad, really. So, um, what, Eddie Nketiah, who else is there that's new? Well, we might see Levi Colwell, I guess, at, possibly as a left-back, um, even against... I mean, he's been playing left-back for Chelsea. It's not his natural position, but he he can do a job there. But, I mean, I do wonder whether we... Maybe we see Trent Alexander in midfield. I mean, that seems to be where Gareth Southgate wants to play him now. But whether he gets into the the first-choice midfield for next week is presumably doubtful. Funnily enough, John Sands writes in. Hello, John. He says, so do the pundits have a view on what England's best midfield three look like? Is it Bellingham, Rice, Trent, given that Southgate appears to see the likes of Foden and Madison as forwards rather than midfielders? 
I don't actually put Trent Alexander-Arnold in, in my first choice England side. Okay. I love him. I love his right foot. It's it's a weapon, isn't it? Blimey. But he's a rookie in that position. And I think I'd like to see a bigger sample size of him playing in that role, really. I, do you know what I would like to see? I'd like to see Stones and Rice play at the base of a midfield. Mm. But, you know, Man City style. Obviously, Stones alongside Rodri helped them win the treble last year. And I think that that is something that could work for England, especially if you had a back three behind where Stones could potentially just drop back in when we were un, under a little bit of pressure. And then I would, it, if you had those two, you could then have Bellingham a little bit higher, maybe with a Foden or, or a Madison. I, yeah, I, I was, I was have a little play around with it um, mm. yesterday. Uh, three, two, four, one, like Man City did last year. Stones and Rice... And then you've probably got, obviously not for this game, but Saka, uh, Bellingham, Foden or Madison, and then probably Rashford, but maybe Grealish on the left. I, I like that. What are you laughing at, James? No, I'm laughing at Duncan's face. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you'll play around with England teams. You're never too old of course. for that, No, no, it wasn't that. Uh, Duncan. Um, yeah, I mean, to Adrian's point, I think this season's been interesting in the sense that obviously Madison's gone to Spurs and is really thriving as a, as a 10. Bellingham's playing a lot further forward for Real Madrid than we th- probably thought he would do. And I think that has created essentially an option for Southgate to use those two players in, in that position and obviously choose one. But we also know that Gareth Southgate doesn't really... He won't do it. No. no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I think given, given how Southgate is... Trent playing in that position is probably as inventive as he as he might get. So on that basis, I would encourage it. Okay. Is there anything you're particularly or anyone you're particularly insi- well, excited to see? Ollie Watkins, I think you know, has been playing brilliantly recently. Not just his goals, but his kind of off the ball running, his pressing has been amazing. And you know, he's he's definitely earned his his recall. And you'd hope that he'd get at least the Australia game to, you know, because we don't really have a, a proper understudy for for Harry Kane. So yeah, that, that's what I hope for. Mm. All right. Dom? I think a front three of Watkins, maybe Rashford on the left, um, and Jared Bowen up there as well. I mean, we'd love to see Bowen play. He's playing superbly for West Ham, um, earned his own recall. So, yeah, as long as Watkins and Bowen get a run out in the in the Australia game and hope hope to impress ahead of, of Italy. But I do think that Southgate will be targeting Italy and then almost working backwards as to which t- players he, he selects for the friendly. And surely, Dom, you would be keen to see Sam Johnston get a... The Palace hero get a... Well, you know, no other goalkeeper's kept more clean sheets in the Premier League this season, so why not? It I won't would... be him, though, though, will it? <laughs> I don't think... So. Well, I thought Ramsdale. I mean, what... What a funny time it's been for Aaron Ramsdale. Played mm. in that Scotland game. I thought he was excellent. Mm. It, was a, it was a superb team performance, full stop, actually. I was very, very impressed with England that night. But I thought he looked super confident. And he, we've seen him once since, you know, in that Brentford League Cup game. So, But yeah, I would like to see Cole Will start. I would also like to see Lewis Dunk mm. given another opportunity. I thought he was fantastic at Hamden. And I just think he's the, the way he is on the ball is just so suited to international football he's he's turned into a brilliant passer hasn't he yeah he he never was and also he made a mistake in Brighton's game at Marseille the other week but he didn't let it affect him he he then became one of the best players of the night so um, I think I think him him at the heart of that defence could be something that that works moving forward what one thing that we've got an issue with at the moment is down the left Mm. there are no fit left backs I mean Shaw's out isn't he Shearwell's out Rico Henry, who might have had a shout 
is out for the season. So we're kind of left with, with Colwell. And then you think about the left wingers, Rashford out of form and Jack Grealish out of the team. He's been injured, but he can't get back. I think a lot of people thought that Pep Guardiola would put him straight back into the City right. team, but he hasn't really featured. And he was an unused sub at Emirates, which I thought was a little bit of a snub, mm. considering that, that he made a few second half changes, Pep. So, yeah, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be desperate to play and to, and to shine. OK. England taking on Australia on Friday. After that, as mentioned, it's Italy. Australia, post the England game, have a clash with New Zealand for... The Ashes. Now, the other day we were asking why this football clash is called The Ashes. Thanks, Ryan Melville, for putting our minds at rest. Uh, the Ashes in the trophy for Australia against New Zealand were from cigars smoked by the captains back in 1923 and collected in a razor tin that had travelled with an Anzac soldier when he fought at Gallipoli. Woo. Trophy was subsequently lost until it turned up, no doubt there was a small white dog involved, in a garage this year. That's a lovely story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Was mm. it was it donated or sold? What back to the to well, the federation? I imagine it was handed over swiftly by some <laughs> right-thinking citizen. Mm. Anyway, all right. Well, that's uh, anything else you want to say about England against Australia? No. Okay. I think the Italy game is is more interesting, but you'll get to that in the next pod, won't you? I guess we will. I guess we will. Next up, then, everyone's doing their Eden Hazard bit. Let's do ours. Football is bigger and more complicated than ever before. Just ask VAR. Check up late. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. So the Daily Football Briefing is here to help, whether it's the World Cup. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Lionel Messi. As they say, he completed football. Or Manchester United. I mean, the performances all season have been questionable. That are making you quizzical. The Daily Football Briefing has all the answers you need for every football story that matters. And it does exactly what the name suggests. It's daily, it's brief, and it's all about football. The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Hazard's got some space here. And off he goes. Through the gears. Through the glass. Into the net. Genius. There's no other word to describe it. He's the best around. All right. If you fancy some red-hot Eden Hazard chat, and I know I do, then have a listen to the Athletic Football Podcast, which was out on Wednesday, featuring actual Belgian Christophe Tourer, who's a lovely chap. And uh, they spent the whole show, I think, talking about Eden Hazard. So, woof. But we're going to do a little bit now, just because it's not every week that a legend calls time on his career. What, what would be your Hazard Hall of Fame moment, Dominic Fifield, who saw him so often there for the Blues? Well, I mean, there were so many. That was the thing. He, I was lucky enough to interview him three times. He he was always 
good fun, very honest in those interviews. He was just a wonderful player to watch, a player that played with a, a smile on his face, you know, cheeky, knew he had the beating of any player he came up against, really. Uh, very low centre of gravity, very quick turning and just sort of scuttling around the pitch and, and, and scored some absolutely breathtaking goals over his seven years at Chelsea. I mean, I... I mean, some of those. I mean, the West Ham, the goal he scored against West Ham, the goal he scored against Arsenal. Sorry, Adrian. Mm. Uh, absolutely incredible. Is that the one where incredible. he knocked Cockland over? Yeah, and exactly. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Goes yeah, past. The West Ham one's amazing. I, I say this having just watched Eden Hazard top ten goals in that West Ham one, where he <laughs> it basically shimmies through past five defenders and and then puts it past the keeper. He couldn't just, get the ball off him, could he? It was just glued to his instep. Yeah, it was just. Oh, and, and he the almost, ones he scored against Liverpool. He almost well, invites the challenge to kind of then kind of bounce off it again with ball still in his possession. The 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 Spurs one as well in the game which I think decided the title in 2016 for Leicester. That was a bit special. Away from Oliveira, Diego Costa, Iniesta, glorious goal, Leicester's goal. The context of that one being that he'd had his worst season at Chelsea and, and really struggled. Obviously, Chelsea had had a nightmare. Mourinho had been sacked in December. Um, and and yet he still, in the moment, the one remaining moment to sort of redeem that season for, for Chelsea fans, i.e. prevent Tottenham winning the league, uh, he, he pulled out a, a, a brilliant, brilliant goal like that. But he, he, was a, he was a complete joy. I mean, it, the state of his ankles were quite... Or quite something, and I suppose we should have seen maybe the toils that he endured at, at Madrid in advance. But I think he had 638 fouls against him in his time at Chelsea, seven years. That's one every 26 touches he earned a foul, and he'd come off the pitch with his ankle, with his socks ripped to shreds, and you know the, the cuts and the bruises on his ankles in particular, because that was where the point of contact generally was. Um, so it's maybe not a surprise that he's had serious ankle problems at, at Madrid, amongst other things, and, and his career never really took off there. I mean, Mourinho warned us about this. It was New Year's Day 2015. He, he said, you know, unless he gets better protection, his career may, may well be cut short, and so it's proved. Yeah, the numbers in, in Spain are remarkable. Uh, possibly, I mean, it was one of the worst transfers from Real Madrid's point of view of, of all time. They paid almost 80 million Euros for him. He spent four years there, 76 appearances in those four years, only completed 90 minutes in six of those games, only scored seven goals, and in four seasons in Spain, never played a single minute against Barcelona, which is just incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's rare you get a point in a player's career where it's such a just a turning point. Hazard played over 30 games in every Premier League season he was at Chelsea. You know, he was in Dom's right, he got targeted, but he kept bouncing back and, and playing on. And then he obviously famously put on a bit of weight that summer before right. when he went to Madrid. And, you know, I kind of, Michael Cox has pointed this out as well, is that Hazard is a bit of a sort of throwback footballer. He didn't really care about the celebrity, just like playing football, but football wasn't like the be all and end all. He's almost like a the only modern version of those sort of 70s Stan Bowles sort of players that just love playing football and were really good. And then, you know, it, he doesn't seem particularly gutted that his career's over at 32. He's probably just gone, well, I had a really good time at Chelsea and, you know, I'm a, one of the greats of my era. And, and he did, didn't he? I mean, I think prime Eden Hazard was... It was really second only to, to Lionel Messi in terms of watchability mm. and talent. I mean, I loved it. Cause I, I used to be a winger 
I, I just loved watching, you know, I've never really taken to Chelsea as a club, but I used to love watching Chelsea when he played for them because of those mesmeric dribbles, the way he chopped the ball from the left foot to the right or vice versa to, to skip around defenders was, was just so much fun. He just got kicked too much. I think, I think Dom hit the nail on the head. I think there was one challenge is it Mernier, I think, that, that, that really crunched him. And he never seemed to... He was out for a while after that and never seemed to really recover. And I think when injuries bite and you spend a lot of time on the treatment table, the problem is you're always chasing it. And then it's easier to pick up other injuries following that. And that was his first big one. And f from there on, it was like a chain of events. And because you... And I experienced this myself when I had a long period of out. When you're out injured... You, you discover a little bit more of life outside of football. And I think maybe with Eden Hazard, the hunger mm. just waned. He wasn't called, well, or, or did it? Yeah. He wasn't well. called Eden Hazard for nothing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, the hunger maybe affected well, the, him the in a different way. The weight pre-season was, I think, always part of the issues yeah. that he had with Real Madrid. The other one was when he chuckled with his former Chelsea teammates after they knocked Real out in the, yeah. the Champions League. Uh, yeah, but, but also I think the emergence of young players in his position worked against him. Vinicius Jr., for example, Rodrigo, they came through at the time when he was out injured a lot and they were brilliant. And, and obviously the need for Real Madrid to then bring him back into the side diminished. So, yeah, it was sort of um, a lot of factors behind his fairly rapid demise but but he's, he had a great career mm. and and I he don't made, think he made Lille double winners in yeah. France that's extraordinary and, and everyone's peak is at different times and yeah. his peak just happened to be in his early 20s you know up until the up until the, the sort of mid to late 20s and then mm. and then nothing really after yeah and people, we've kind of been spoiled in longevity stakes by Messi and Ronaldo have been so good for so long and and that isn't normal I mean Hazard's length of career at the top is is kind of right and just to put some numbers on it, he, one of only four players in Premier League history to score 15 or more in a season and assist 15 or more in that same season. And the other, the other three are Omri, Letizia and Eric Cantona way back when. So in, in modern terms, he's, uh, you know, unrivaled. Did you just wince when you said Letizia? Um, no. Uh, we haven't talked about one thing, and it's his bum. Carl Anker wrote a whole piece about this. Did he? Mm. Yeah, he did. Well, he quotes uh, Yaya Torre, who said, who wrote in 2021, when the ball arrives at Hazard, he can already sense the opponent coming towards him, so he waits until the last moment and uses his bum to block them. It pushes the opponent away, almost like a punch. And then when he's opened up that space between him, him and the defender, he will power away and start the attack. I mean, his, his, his bum is significant. Yeah, well, if you've got a if you've got a weapon like that, yeah. then use it, right? Mm. I mean, it's it was it was a strong derriere. He also did a lot of judo as a kid. Did that he? helped him um, helped him learn how to fall, so that when he was fouled or taken out in games, he 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 didn't land awkwardly. I so wonder he... too, Dom, having done a little bit of jujitsu myself, whether it <laughs> facilitated that knack he seemed to have of using an opponent's oncoming force and just yeah. deflecting away. it away. Yeah, yeah. nice. But he was terrified of eagles. Was he? Was he? Who is it? The, uh, the, How did the this first manifest? game he played at Sellers uh, Park in would have been the spring, early spring of 2014. Um, he was the last Chelsea player to come out of the tunnel. And at the time, Palace had Kayla the Eagle, mm. who used to fly from one crossbar down to the, to the other end. And it started off at the Holmesdale. And he was a... You know, doing what he does, skipping onto the pitch, looking very cheerful. And then 
you could see, watched him. You could see this shadow going going across the turf and going over him. And he looked up and he was like, oh, my God, what is that? And it was this huge Kayla the Eagle swooping down, must have been about 10 feet above his head, went down to the other end. And I spoke to him about it subsequently. Um, and he said, yeah, it's not every day you look up and there's a bird of prey swooping down on you at a football stadium. But there you go. I like to think Kayla and the Eagle and Pickles the dog are together now. That's a lovely image. I'd have flinched there. Wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, of course you would. I wouldn't. His bum wouldn't have protected him there if she got him in his talons. <laughs> Lovely image. And a great place to to put a little full stop on that bit of our Eden Hazard chat. Best of luck to him, whatever he's up to next. Uh, what we're going to be doing in a minute or two is talking about another former attacking midfield great and what they're about to get up to. Wayne Rooney, inbound at Birmingham. Hello listeners, this is Ian Stone, host of Handbrake Off, your dedicated Arsenal podcast from The Athletic. Myself and Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, Art de Roche and James Medicolas are with you twice a week, every week throughout the season, as we bring you all the news and views from in and around the club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Hello, Sasso Heino, who says, I'd like to hear Adrian's view on the players' workload nowadays. It's non-stop football, and it's only going to get worse. Is that right, Adrian? Mm, um, I actually did a did a whole pod on this. Did you? So, yeah, tr- go back and, and listen to the, the Athletic Football Podcast. Um, it was really, really good, actually. I was, it, was, it, was, it was a good sort of four-way chat. And do you know what? I probably sided the other way in, in terms of, let's blame... If we're going to blame anybody, let's blame the FIFA and UEFA for expanding all of their competitions. Always a good call. Exactly. I think the bottom line is footballers hate not playing. And if there's a game for them, they want to be in it. They want to be in it. Mm. Richard David Pike wants to talk about Luxembourg. I'm not falling for that, Richard. We had a show <laughs> recently where they talked up Luxembourg, who have a very significant chance of qualifying for their first ever international tournament. They just need to... Win away from home against Iceland, that's this Friday, and then home in their next match against Slovakia 
and they'll be sort of sorted almost to, to make it through to Germany next summer. Amazing. Anyway, we talked up Luxembourg last time, and then they went and lost 9-0 to Portugal. So mm. uh, but I will keep an eye on them, Richard. It's a great shout. Brian Doyle also writes, and he says, with Birmingham giving the job to Wayne Rooney, will they live to regret it? Brian's short on punctuation, I think, because of the urgency of his message. <laughs> will they live to regret it as they were in sixth and Rooney has had a 25% and 28% win percent? What do you think? Adrian, you've followed uh, Birmingham City so far. First of all, what kind of a shock was it to you uh, them deciding to dispatch poor John Eustace? Uh, it wasn't a surprise because the rumours have been around ever since the, the new American owners came in. I, I think it, it was a pretty open secret. I don't think John Eustace was the least bit surprised. Mm. Um, on the... On the face of it, it was mm. the harshest of dismissals because Birmingham are sixth. They're sixth. Yeah, and the, 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 it's not very often that Birmingham City mm. are in sixth. A DC United sixth? Uh, no, no, no they, not. They, 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 they they struggled again this season. So, yeah, like, he was doing a very good job. They're a team on the up. They're, they've recruited some, some decent players and the players seem very, very content under his pretty sensible management. That said, I do know a few Birmingham City fans mm. and this ownership change has really altered their outlook they now have stars in their eyes oh, they now they? believe that they're on a pathway a trajectory towards you know the premier league i guess and and they did have reservations that eustace was the man to take them there now whether wayne rooney is is an upgrade or not remains to be seen i have okay. to say on, on the balance of win ratios and and, and performances so far You'd have to question it. You'd have to say that this appointment is a stars in their eyes appointment, mm. as in it's Wayne Rooney. That's why we're going to go for him because his record at Derby and at, under challenging circumstances uh, and at DC United was was modest to say the least. Do you remember when they were on the fringes of the playoff positions and they'd been Gary Rout and brought in uh, mm. Gianfranco Zola? Went well, didn't it? <laughs> uh, I think he had a he departed within 24 games with an 8% win ratio. 8%, yeah, right. um, I, I'm sure Wayne would do better than that. But yeah, uh, look, who, who knows how he will do? But... I have my reservations over his tactical nows. Hmm. I think he's a good good man motivator. He'll attract players. Players will want to come to Birmingham City and play for Wayne Rooney. He's obviously got Ashley Cole and uh, and John O'Shea as hmm. part of his backroom team. So it's I, I don't think they'll have a problem recruiting. It's it's the in-game management. How smart is he going to be? Okay, uh, moving forwards, we'll we'll talk to Paul Tenorio in a second or two with a, with a view on how he. Managed in a not straightforward position at DC United, and what the issues were were there. Dom, this the, the new setup though at Birmingham. Are you familiar at all with how it works with with Tom Brady and how active a role he has? It was a very eye catching statement the club put out this week. Yeah, I mean they, they put out a few eye catching statements. <laughs> they, they they suggested the other day that that, uh, that that Birmingham City were basically the most. Mm newsworthy club on the planet and had got 17 billion positive media hits whatever that means on 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 socials and etc which is like pretty much tw over twice the population of the globe well I, I've, uh, I've certainly been hitting them a lot but yeah. uh... <laughs> <laughs> wonder where you've been um it's yeah i mean look it's it's an exciting time i guess there's, there's a lot to do at that club i mean in terms of the the stadium and, and the team rebuild, etc. But but I suppose you 
clubs like that look at the, the championship and see it as an opportunity. It doesn't seem, I suppose it's a bit stronger than last year, Adrian, you'd probably be better in position to, to say, but I mean, it feels like a stronger championship with the, the teams got who were relegated at the end of last season. But I think they'll still target maybe the playoff place as, 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 as a reasonable attainment. They, they, could, they could achieve that potentially if... Rooney hits the ground running and makes a positive impact. Yeah, they've got they've got an outside chance of the playoffs. That's about the best they can do. They're not going to challenge for automatic promotion. Do you think they have a worse chance under Rooney than they did before? That seemed to be what you were... No, well, I'm not going to say that because I think give give Wayne Rooney a chance. Right. He, he's actually going to have funds available to him. He never had that at Derby before where he had to didn't play really the kids. He didn't really have it at DC either. He didn't have it at DC. So, so no, I, I'm more than happy to give Wayne Rooney a chance. Hmm. But, but I do feel that... The appointment is is via his name rather than his his credentials so far. But I wish I wish him luck. I, also, there is that factor of Gary Cook, who's the CEO at Birmingham City. He's, he's very good friends with Wayne Rooney's agent. You know, long-standing relationship. So it is quite a convenient appointment. But look, they've got grand ambitions. It's not just the football club and the team that they're looking to build either. They, I think, they've got their eye on a new stadium. Obviously, I don't know if you've been to Birmingham lately. I live, you know, not too far away, but everywhere you look, new buildings are popping up. It is a city that is growing really, really fast, and I think that these owners want to be a big part of that and make, you know, make Birmingham the hub of the country um, outside of London, of course. So yeah, yeah, no. So I think yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they stick around long enough if they build a new a new ground, and obviously, um, yeah, they've got their eyes on the Premier League. But for me, the team is a massive long shot to, to reach the Premier League come the end of this season. Quite a strange club, Birmingham, in the sense that they've got the record for most relegations from top flight ever. So they've they've constantly, you know, they're very much a yo-yo team between the top two divisions for a, for a long, long time. But like Adrian says, the potential is there. But just some of the statements, like they said in the, in the statement when they got rid of Eustace, they oh. said, we want to have a no-fear playing style, which mm. just, what does that mean? Like, it was John Eustace coming out and just going, oh, we're really scared. It was <laughs> really it, quite classless, wasn't it? Is that, the, isn't the, that what Schalke <laughs> have? Mm. Mm. No fear, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah the, I thought the initial statement was so crass and disrespectful to Eustace. It basically said that, that the manager didn't share the club's winning mentality. Mm. Was, that was, you know, that's paraphrasing, but I thought that was... Really, really harsh. It's great to have ambitions to be world class, to take things to the next level. But I think you have to also have a touch of realism and turning Birmingham City with the group of players they've got into some form of thrilling, entertaining possession based side that sweeps all before them. Mm. It's just not realistic. And I'm, I'm sure that John used to said that to them. Right. They didn't want to hear it. And, and now they've moved on from him. So it's going to be fascinating. Because the, th- the thing is, Wayne Rooney's teams haven't been that exciting. They've been quite pragmatic, maybe because he didn't have, you know, the ideal scenario around him. But he certainly isn't a coach that, that's known for uh, thrilling attacking football. All right. Derby, was, Derby was very much a, I mean, a survival thing. To get 55 points that season... Wasn't wasn't that bad an it achievement? Well. It was it was impressive, wasn't it? I it think it was well. only minus eight goal difference, eleven home wins. It was it was it was decent. It was only the twenty one point deduction that, that did for them that year. <laughs> Liam Rossini was was obviously yeah. if you remember they were sort of fighting over who was going to be the manager. Yeah. But I still think that Liam had a big big say in that coaching setup, even when when Wayne was was appointed as manager manager. 
Mm. I th- I, yeah, I, I think Liam Rossini might have been the, the tactical brain to that operation, Ooh. personally. Mm. But yeah, so we'll, look, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll... It all starts a week on Saturday at Middlesbrough, actually, where Wayne will be facing his former Manchester United teammate, Michael Carrick, across the benches. Interesting. Very good. All right, well, I mentioned that we're going to speak to Paul Tenorio for a stateside view on, on Wayne. And also one or two other you know, big issues uh, on stateside soccer of late, like Leo Messi, season ticket prices, that kind of thing. And that is up next. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, Paul Tenorio of The Athletic now joins us to talk about uh, Leo Messi and much, much more on the MLS front, including Wayne Rooney's departure from DC United with just a little bit left in the regular season. Yes, just just one big weekend of games left. There are a couple other teams that have games left to play, including Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami, which is eliminated from playoff contention as well. But this has been an active year in, in Major League Soccer as far as managers being fired. And Rooney wasn't fired per se. It was a mutual decision to, to part ways. But I think it was the right one and it was an obvious one. Um, this team wasn't really moving forward under Wayne Rooney. And and really, I think DC United was in need of a, a complete and total makeover top to bottom in their sporting department. And Wayne Rooney might have alluded to that a little bit as he was leaving, saying, I've done everything I can do to try to get this team to the playoffs and they haven't done that. And this is just a, the right time to move on and move forward. I am a bit surprised at how quickly Wayne Rooney landed a job and a good job at that. I think it speaks to uh, how much a name can help you. Obviously Rooney and his accomplishments on the field uh, unquestioned, right? Um, but what he's done as a manager, I think there are some question marks still there and to take over a team that's been playing well so far this season it puts pressure on him immediately. What are the questions that DC United fans would have about Rooney's period there? Well, again, I, I really didn't feel like the team made much progress in terms of kind of a, a distinct style of play, 
They, they certainly weren't considered one of the better football playing teams in the league. You can chalk that up to a number of reasons. As I said earlier, I think this is a sporting department and at DC United that needs to make some changes. The processes to find players weren't, weren't necessarily the best ones. They need a new general manager. They need to, to kind of create a method to finding players where a, a manager can say, this is the system I'm playing. This is the way I want players to um, excel in, in X, Y, and Z position. And, and I think, you know, as we saw with some of the player signings under Rooney, it felt like a manager saying, okay, well, I, I know this player and, and I know that player. Let's just go sign them. And, and for me, that typically doesn't lead to success. So I think the hope for Wayne Rooney now going back to England is that he's able to to be more of just the manager and worry just about what the team is doing on the field, putting a system of play into place, creating an identity and trying to win. And, and it felt at DC that he never really got to that part of the job. And, and I think that ultimately hurt the team a lot in the results. And, and I think it spoke to the, the organization as much as just to Rooney. Um, but, you know, I do think that there are questions still of like, what kind of manager is Wayne Rooney? What kind of football does he want his teams to play? Questions that Birmingham City fans are going to be very interested in seeing the answers to. Uh, Lionel Messi, as you mentioned, into Miami not making the playoffs. Uh, what's he going to be spending his next four months doing, Paul? Well, I, you can look at it as a positive or a negative if you're Lionel Messi about your time coming to the United States. They have the longest offseason in the world in Major League Soccer, especially if you don't make the playoffs, as is the case for Inter-Miami. So they'll be off for all of November, all of December, start preseason in January, and don't play their next game until February. That's some time in between competitive matches. And it presents a little bit of a conundrum for Lionel Messi as he works his way back into the Argentinian national team. He's down with Argentina now preparing for World Cup qualifiers in the next few days. Well, they also have World Cup qualifiers in November. So I think the short-term concern for Lionel Messi is how is he going to stay fit? How is he going to keep his form ahead of those qualifiers in November, including a massive qualifier against Brazil? After that, I expect that Messi will take a few weeks off, relax a little bit, and then come back to Miami in January rested and fit and ready to kind of conquer Major League Soccer again. What will be interesting to see is how much does Miami change the roster around Messi. They made a lot of moves when they first signed him, bringing Busquets, bringing Alba, signing three young players from South America. Will Tata Martino put more of his imprint on the team in this offseason when, when Messi is coming back? Um, but certainly this will be an offseason unlike any, I think, Messi has experienced before just simply because he'll have so much time off. And I wonder how that'll impact his play and his fitness as, as he kind of is entering the final phase of his career to suddenly now have to adapt to several months between games. They miss out on the playoffs. Uh, they did, though, win their first ever trophy, courtesy of uh, Leo Messi's 10 goals in, in seven games, the, the inaugural League's Cup. Uh, how is his stint there being judged? And also, what's the... What's the reaction been like to the extraordinary rise in the season ticket prices for next season that uh, Inter Miami have instituted? There were some amazing charts on the Athletic. I wasn't, I, and I was trying to work out from it. it. Seemed like the cheapest one was more or less competitive with with um, with kind of really top level ones around the top uh, European clubs. You know, this is a team that didn't have a ton of fans in their stadium in prior years when they were near the bottom of the conference and didn't have Lionel Messi on the field. So if there was going to be blowback. I think it's also to a certain degree 
understandable that there would be an, an increase considering the amount of money that's been invested in the roster and to have Messi on the team. But they've doubled them, no? Haven't they? Yeah, that being said, yeah, to, to jump as much as they have at the stadium in which they play is a lot harder to justify. And, and as you mentioned, I think it's more difficult to equate the American League to the European Leagues because MLS is so much more dependent on ticket revenue in order to drive profit or to drive revenue than European leagues, which have these massive media deals. MLS did sign a new deal with Apple, $250 million a year, but it's it's below what the European leagues make. And when I went to Dallas, it was Lionel Messi's first road trip. And, you know, that's a stadium that doesn't have a lot of, of those premier suite type tickets. A lot of it was just kind of the rank and file. And in the day of the game, I remember going out on the secondary market, looking at ticket prices and seeing seats for sale for a piece. And, you know, if you looked at the next game that FC Dallas was playing, you get those same tickets for five bucks or 10 bucks. So, um, you know, that gives you an idea of the kind of demand that that Messi brought. And understandably so. It's the first chance for some of these fans to see him up close. The problem is going to be, again, how much longer can you do this? How much more can you ask of the fans? How, How much longer can you continue to increase ticket prices as a justification for a need to, to drive more revenue instead of maybe taking a look at the bigger problem saying, okay, what do we need to do to increase our audiences to then increase our media deal? And I think that's kind of the conundrum that MLS faces now. It's like they need to solve the equation here to, and start to drive more revenue outside of just ticket sales. And just briefly, was Messi making those playoffs? Was that part of their, their gamble in bringing him in? Yeah, it would have been just kind of an added piece of this magic messy moment of him coming to the United States, as you said earlier, 10 goals in seven games, winning a trophy right away. When he arrived, Miami was in last place in the Eastern conference. They had a massive hole to dig out of, but MLS had just expanded their playoffs. And so nine teams, 18 of the 29 teams were making the playoffs. So it was, it was doable for, for Messi and Miami to get there. And I think, yes, it would have been, a huge boon for Major League Soccer. I got myself in a bit of trouble writing a column saying that it was a missed opportunity for MLS that Messi missed the playoffs. I wasn't saying that MLS should have done what they could to rig games to get Messi. I was just saying that had Messi been in the playoffs, it would have brought this new audience that Messi attracts to the league. And the MLS playoffs are are actually probably the best of the product that you'll see because they're these do-or-die knockout games. And it would have exposed that new audience to this this product to the best selling part of major league soccer, which is the playoffs. So to miss that moment, I think for me, it exacerbated again, this debate happening behind the scenes. How do we take advantage of Messi? And I think it showed you have this finite window of time where Messi is going to be present in your league. What do you do to leverage that? You miss out now on these first playoffs. What are we going to do to grow the league around this audience that Messi is bringing? And, and MLS is going to have to answer that question now. Okay. When do the playoffs start, Paul? They start in just a couple weeks. So after we get back from the international break, MLS will play its decision day, the final day of the regular season, to determine those playoff seeds. And just a few days after that, uh, MLS playoffs will start. So it'll be in early November. And one player with Messi absent that we really have to keep an eye on for those playoffs? I I would have to say Lucho Acosta, another Argentine playmaker with Cincinnati, which won uh, the Supporter Shield this year. Uh, He's been brilliant in his second round in Major League Soccer. I think some fans may remember the goal that Wayne Rooney set up where he chased 
uh, chased a player back, won the ball, and hit that long diagonal to the small, diminutive little midfielder who headed it in. That was Lucho Acosta in D.C. He ended up leaving MLS, going down to Mexico, playing there for a couple of years, and was brought back to Cincinnati. To Cincinnati, and he's been brilliant so far this season. So he's a player to keep an eye on. Paul Tenorio, and you can read that piece actually about. It's very interesting about where Messi missing out on the playoffs. Uh, impacts MLS uh, on the athletic of course playoffs getting underway very very soon so hopefully we'll be speaking to Paul about that in the next week or two for now though that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show as I mentioned on Monday we'll be up a little bit later so we can include the exciting Sunday night action do make sure you hang around and join us for that for now it's many many thanks to Dom Fifield, to Adrian Clark and to Duncan Alexander and Charlie and Rachel in the booth and you, listener, and you, have a great weekend. Enjoy all that international football, and we'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.